Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Welcome to The Broad Experience, the show about women, the workplace, and success. I'm Ashley Miltite. This time on the show, what happens to a woman's career when she returns to work after having a baby? Some women find other people's perceptions of them begin to change. I was quite stressed and then I talked to my boss and she said, yeah, it's because you have all those children. So of course, no wonder you're getting stressed. And making the pitch for flexibility before you hit a wall. As put upon and as burnt out as you might feel, you have to be able to reframe that for an organization and just make sure that you're not bringing that emotional dump to them because they're not going to respond well. Coming up on The Broad Experience. But first, a word from our sponsor. This episode of The Broad Experience is brought to you by Foreign Affairs, a fantastic resource for authoritative analysis on important global issues. Recent articles have covered everything from net neutrality to the crisis in Iraq. And Broad Experience listeners may be particularly interested in the female game changers who've written pieces for the magazine in recent years, including Hillary Clinton, Condoleezza Rice and Madeleine Albright. Foreign Affairs is offering me a special low rate for my listeners, only $19.95 for an entire year. Subscribers also get an exciting new product that just launched, audio editions created in a partnership with Audible.com. Now you can listen to the latest issue online or on the go by downloading it or streaming it directly from their website. To take advantage of their offer, go to foreignaffairs.com forward slash broad. We have a packed show this week with four guests, and I'm tackling a huge topic, one that will touch most women's lives, the intersection of work and motherhood. More women are working now than ever before, and while some take a short or long career break, many go right back after maternity leave. If you happen to live in the US, that leave is likely to be just a few months long. These women have a new outlook on life, new responsibilities, and some trepidation about how they're going to manage it all. Rahel Ellison lives in New York. She's a career coach who helps parents, mainly women, navigate the challenges of working parenthood. Her job came about by accident, literally. Shortly after my daughter was born, I had a, quite a bad fall and I was immobilized for a long period of time. I started to have some of my friends, my new mom friends, come over and talk to me about their experiences going back to work. And those experiences weren't great. Coming back to work was a sobering adjustment for many of the women. And uh, Tell me, what were they, I mean, what kinds of things are they saying? What were they telling you? Did you feel like a therapist? I did feel a little bit like a therapist, which was always a secret aspiration of mine. But, but it was really interesting. I mean, people who had these illustrious careers, you know, more than a decade of continuous accomplishment, you know, exceeding goals, new and bigger titles every few years. I mean, I remember one 
friend telling me how she had returned to the workforce and she was made to, at 41, an, an SVP was made to fill out a timesheet, which was something she had never done before and was sort of scrutinized on that timesheet. Basically, it was, it was as if, you know, it's what Joan C. Williams calls the maternal wall. All of the sudden, all of these things that the workplace seemed to accept about these women and then they accepted about themselves and the trust that they had earned in these companies had been sort of thrown out the window and they were put under this intense scrutiny as if they weren't as committed to their jobs as they had been before having kids. Rahel has a background in organisational psychology. That's basically the study of human behaviour in the workplace. And after she recovered from her accident, she began working with these new parents who were finding the workplace so tough. Something her clients have always craved, in addition to continued trust and respect from employers, is the path to some kind of flexibility. The ability to leave early for a child's doctor's appointment or to come in late after dropping a kid off at school. Even if a company claims to be all about work-life balance, there are official policies and there are the people with the power to implement those policies. My clients often have fantastic policies um, at their companies that are available to them to use. The issue isn't the policies themselves. What's the bigger issue is the culture that they work in and the attitudes that their managers have towards taking those policies. And if they are lucky enough to have a good manager, and often it's not just the one manager, you know, there's a managerial team. So even if one person thinks, sure, you could take that policy, you know, we care about you, we care about your family, we want you to take advantage. Another manager could think, no, if she takes advantage of that policy or if he takes advantage of that policy, that's a sign to me that they're not serious. And that's the bigger issue. So that suggests that even though these policies are down on paper, that they're not necessarily being articulated by at the individual manager level. I would say that's, in the majority of cases, that's exactly the case. So this sounds just like um, the advancement of women within companies as a whole. You know, everyone who works in this space says it will only happen if the top people are on board and pushing it forward. It's true, but I think that, yes, I mean... You know, as an organizational development consultant, I know that you you need buy-in from the top tier, right? But you also need understanding of how to translate those policies and practices in the middle, in the middle. And I think that's where these policies get lost. Is you have people who want them at the you know at the bottom or at the lower middle level, and then the middle managers really don't know how to translate them. Even if they wanted to, they don't really understand how you know giving flexibility is going to help you know, the job that they need to get done, get done. And I think they are feeling like we all are in this economy, a certain sense of insecurity about, you know, being accountable for these different um, initiatives that they have on their plate. So they don't really want to take the risk in many cases of letting someone take more flexibility with their time. And yet, from your perspective, what is the advantage of letting employees have that flexibility? I mean, I think, first of all, it's about... There's so many advantages to productivity, first of all. We're working in a 24-7 overwork culture where there's no clocks and there's no walls to how and where and when we work. You need to allow people to tend to their, their needs outside of work in order to be productive employees. If you have an employee who's sitting there worried about one doctor's appointment that their child has and they need to, to take care of that and then come back and be 200% engaged in the job um 
it's not it's not really worth it as one of my one of my colleagues says you know you trust your employees to go to a conference in california and you trust them to get the work done at that conference they may not be working every minute of the day at that conference and networking every minute of the day but you know when you send them you have the confidence when you send them to that conference in california they're going to do their jobs and i think we have to have the same attitudes here treat employees like grown-ups in other words Talking of employers, Karen Rubin works with them on a regular basis. She's managing director of a company called Talking Talent, which specializes in maternity transition coaching, a term I'd never even heard of till recently. We'll talk more about that in a minute. But first, I wanted to hear about Karen's experience. She had two children and a great job at a major satellite TV company. But after her third child was born, her childcare situation hit a new low. She was worn out, and at the same time, her company was offering buyouts. She took one. Her husband earned enough to support them all, so like plenty of other women in the same position, she quit work and went back home. But what I didn't realize when I stepped off was that it was going to be so difficult to return. And this is the story that is so very common. You figure, oh, I, I have this stellar resume, I've worked at these great companies, I've gone to these wonderful schools, I have these degrees. It'll be easy for me when I decide I'm ready to come back. And it wasn't. And that's what Talking Talent tries to remedy by keeping women from leaving the workforce in the first place. The company works with pregnant employees and their employers to make sure each party is talking to the other about what they want when the woman comes back. And after she comes back, when her wants may have totally changed. Karen says the problem is some women quit out of exhaustion and frustration after they have a child or two, but no one's talking about any of it while it's going on. She says women are afraid to admit they're struggling or appear any less committed to their work. And HR staff, at least in the US, are afraid of being sued if they ask questions. Karen says her company works with both parties to keep lines of communication open. Everybody's different. Some women you know, might want to have a conversation about possibly doing work, for instance, that involves less travel in the future. Or maybe somebody wants to make sure that everybody knows that this, you know, as soon as they're back from maternity leave, they want to continue up that ladder in full force. But if they don't have the conversation, then others might make assumptions about what they might want. And they do. They can also make assumptions about what you're capable of. I told Karen I thought most workplaces still weren't that comfortable with the whole idea of employees as mothers of young children, despite having had women workers for decades now. Maternity, it's just this key thing about what women do, right? They have babies and there's such a a stark difference between that and the softness and the nurturing that goes with having a child and the culture of the workplace. Mm-hmm. And I think maternity is still associated with softness and sort of, in a way, weakness. You know, it doesn't, it doesn't mesh with a hard-charging workplace. You're absolutely right. I was just recently speaking with a potential client who was saying, you know, we were, we were talking about the need for maternity coaching, and they said, well, if... An employee chooses to have a child. Why should the company use its resources to, to pay for any of this? Couldn't that person just get a therapist? 
So I think there is an attitude out there that this is a choice that people make and why burden the company. What did you say? Well, what I said is, is, you know, you're hiring people and people often choose to have families. And you, when you, when (laughs) they're human, they're, they're human. And isn't that really what's great about your, your human resources, your, your employees, it's not just the hours that they're in the office doing the work, but they have lives. There's children, there's people who are juggling elder care, there are people who are training for marathons, there are people who are choosing to go back to school. There, we, we have lives outside of the office, and I think it's very short-sighted to say that all we care about are the hours that you are in this office. Obviously, not all companies fall into that category of drawing strict lines between work and the rest of life. I corresponded with several women in the U.S. about their experiences with their companies. One was a vice president at a company that actually caters to children. She has more flexibility now. She has a child and says everyone at the firm supports her and all the other parents. Another woman co-runs a family business and she works reduced hours while her children are still young, although she did say that initially caused some disgruntlement among the other staff. But Rahel Ellison says many women are working for managers of a different generation who did things quite differently with their children. So one person who's a VP at a large company, her, the SVP above her, she asked her, she knew she wanted to have three kids and she saw that this woman um, had had three kids. Uh, So she said, you know, how do you do it? You know, that question, that dreaded question, how did you do it? And she said, it's really easy. You just get a daytime nanny, an evening nanny, a cook and a housekeeper. And those are the four things you need and you'll be set. And, you know, for her, um, you know, forget the financial implications of that. That was not quite what she'd envisioned for working parenthood. That's not what she'd wanted. She spoke to another woman, a lawyer, just recently. This woman was about to go back to work at her law firm, and she had a five-month-old little girl. She said, before my daughter was born, I thought I lived in a very, you know, egalitarian relationship. I thought that I was poised for career success. You know, I was just really on the right track. And having, you know, having this baby, I now feel this really intense pull to be with her and to be her primary caregiver and I feel you know I feel like my entire foundation has been rocked just the idea that everything I thought I understood about myself and the world is now doesn't seem to be true she was still coming to terms with that but this is all part of Rahel's work helping parents see possibilities in their work and family situations paths to flexibility that maybe they can't see on their own what i help people understand is sort of develop their social intelligence around these things around how they um how they frame these conversations how they frame how they present themselves you know it's certainly a delicate balance but i think being able to recognize what it is that makes that gives you added value in this job and being able to frame it that way. I mean, it's about making a business case for yourself at the end of the day, and you have to be consistently doing that. If you make it about anything else, any personal need, then the employer's going to understand it that way and they're not going to take it seriously. And so it's about constantly reminding yourself that as as put upon and as burnt out as you might feel, you have to be able to 
reframe that for an organization and just make sure that you're not bringing that emotional dump to them because they're not going to respond well. Rahal Allison. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Now one thing you'll have noticed about Rahel and Karen is that of course, they're women. Meet Chris Park, a man in a woman's world. He founded Talking Talent in the UK almost 10 years ago. At the time, he was working as a coach at various corporations, and he noticed time and again that women hit pressure points at work after having a child that men did not. Many of these women ended up leaving the company, and the senior ranks remained full of men. He's been on a mission to change that ratio. What frustrates me a little bit is is still the lack of engagement of men. And, and quite often I find myself talking to uh, women's networks or to conferences where the audience is, is predominantly female. So it feels a little bit like we have a good energy in the room, but we're, we're probably preaching to the converted here. And actually we need, you know, some of these male senior leaders to be in the room engaging with the topic and having a good debate about it and, and really taking some ownership of it. I couldn't help wondering how you achieve that. Like you, you know, I will go to a conference or an event that admittedly has a title such as Women in the Workplace or you know, a She Summit, which as, as one man at that recent conference pointed out, he said it you know, doesn't exactly scream male involvement. So how do you get men interested in this topic and, and advocating for gender balance? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's such an important question, I think, Ashley, because there is something around the language we use and how we label conferences and some of the language within the diversity and inclusive environment is not very... Well, it's not very inclusive. Yeah, because you, you come up with this vernacular that some people don't understand. And I, I really vividly remember when I first launched Talking Talent, just how exposed I felt when I was first talking to uh, all female, if not predominantly female audiences. And part of that was that I felt that I was going to say the wrong thing. Despite years of observation in his earlier coaching job, despite his thesis at business school being about the issue of women quitting the workforce before they got to the top, he was terrified of putting his foot in his mouth. And some of those women made it very clear they thought he had no right to be there. What on earth did he know about what they were going through? But he insists it's vital to get more men involved. One of the ways that we're trying to do that is and initially get all-male circles, talking circles, or a focus group, or roundtable discussions, because what we're finding is that within those all-male environments, that they don't feel so exposed when they're, when they're asking the stupid question, or they're making an observation that may be close to the wire. And how's that going for you? I mean, I, I can't imagine that there are that many men who would want to be part of a circle. Well, you, you'd be surprised, actually. 
what I'm seeing and hearing is that there are a lot of men in senior roles who really get this. There are a young, younger generation, particularly coming through organisations who really want the organisation to change. And for many of them, that involves there being a far greater diversity of gender, of ethnicity, of leadership style, of all sorts of things. So, so they are taking it really seriously. But I think many of them just don't know how to make a difference. He intends to keep working with them on that. He says getting balance at these companies will take far too long unless more men are helping to make it happen. And finally, to a country a lot of us think of as having achieved balance between the sexes, Denmark. It routinely wins happiest country polls and has about 25% of women in senior roles, as opposed to the US's 20%. It also has state-funded childcare for babies and young children. Ivalo Andreasen is a broad experience listener who lives in Denmark. She's 32, married with three children, a four-year-old boy and two-year-old twins, a girl and a boy. Unlike the US, the only country in the developed world without any official paid maternity leave, Danish mothers get a year's leave, some of that paid. Virtually all mothers return to work straight after their leave ends. Everybody here in Denmark usually has to work. You cannot be supported by just one parent working. So the children are in daycare, and I've been in daycare too when I was a child. It's just quite common. Denmark has a pretty high cost of living, and taxes are high too, although Ivalo's not complaining. She and her husband pay about a third of the cost of daycare, while the government pays the other two-thirds. Ivalo says most women take that whole year of maternity leave, but she found being at home with the twins tough. She adores her children, but she says she craved adult company and adult stimulation. She went back to work early by Danish standards, and that caused consternation among her colleagues. Yeah, when I started after the twins were six months old, uh, the other women at work were asking me, how how can you leave your babies when they're just six months old? And I I just told them that it was best for me to do it like this, and then it's best for the children. Um, But also my husband stayed at home for two months and took care of the babies and, and and started them in daycare. She doesn't torture herself about what she, quote, should be doing. She says if she's content, her kids are happy too. Her husband is a nurse. She says he was treated like a hero for taking those two months of paternity leave. People were like, oh, he's such a great father. And he is. I'm, I'm not saying he's a great father. He's really a good husband and a great father. But, but, uh, but nobody told me that I was a good mother when I was at home with the with the babies. I was just a mother. Her return to work was difficult, but not because she was being sidelined in any way. I got stressed. Like, I was not sick, but but I was quite stressed. And then I talked to my boss, and she said, yeah, it's because you have all those children. So, of course, no wonder you're getting stressed. Usually, we work 37 hours a week. And she said, you should maybe work 32 hours instead. Because, of course, you're getting stressed with all those children. And, and actually later, I just now when I have my new job, I found out that I think it wasn't, it wasn't the children that stressed me. It was, it was a poor work environment. When she went back to work at that job after her maternity leave, Ivalo says she'd sort of forgotten about how she didn't fit in there. It was a very rules-bound place, she says. And she, well, she's a lot more creative and spontaneous than her office was. She ended up leaving that job this year. 
She says motherhood has helped her make decisions about her career. So now I just kind of know that I have to do what I want to do to be happy because nobody will do it for me. I think that's what helped being a mother. Like uh, it helped me focusing on what I, I, I like to do and what I'm good at. And then like trying to stay away from the things that I, I don't like to do. Because there's so little time. She switched focus from internal communications, where she worked with a lot of other women, to sales at a new company. I work in an IT company. And we are four women out of 45 men. So that's, that's quite like that maybe says it all. And, and the day I was hired, there was another woman hired. And before that, there were just two women at the company. So, so, so we quite uh, made the difference. And she likes it. She likes being surrounded by somewhat nerdy guys who she says are totally into their jobs. It makes a refreshing change. And I have a very good boss now who thinks that it will be good to have some women working with the men, the IT people at the companies. And I, I think he's right. Ivalo Andreasen. You can see a picture of her and her kids under this episode at thebroadexperience.com. You can also comment there or on the Facebook page. That's the broad experience for this time. Next time on the show, men, women and communication at the office. When something goes wrong, women tend to internalize it, right? They go, oh, what did I do? You know, and they ruminate about it, etc. And for men, men tend to externalize it, like what happened? So it becomes much more analytical or rational. And when women personalize, internalize and ruminate about it, it looks irrational when it's not. That's coming up a bit later in the summer. Thanks so much to those of you who've reviewed the show on iTunes. If you haven't and you like what you hear, please consider adding your voice. And you can also support the show by visiting our sponsor at foreignaffairs.com slash broad. Thanks to April Leslie for her help in getting this episode put together. And if you're a new listener, remember there's a whole library of shows just waiting to be heard. Check out episode seven about race in the workplace and episode 12 about life for female entrepreneurs in Kenya. I'm Ashley Milne-Tite. Thanks for listening. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quinn's. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Mm. 